Listener production. Hey, Tom Tilly with you for the briefing. In this episode, part two of the mind blowing story of the biggest tax fraud in Australian history. So, as we learned yesterday, part of what makes this story so interesting is that it involved the son and the daughter of a deputy tax commissioner. Their relationship, according to Adam, is, is so close that if he was in the crosshairs of the ATO. He was confident that his dad would come and you know, pull him aside and say, you know, what's going on here? Yeah, so as you'll hear in today's interview, the scam was very elaborate, but they actually gave themselves away. The police just had this amazing evidence of just hours and hours of recording of Adam and the syndicate members just talking about exactly how they'd done it and uh, how they were going to cover up. So that is part two of the brother-sister tax fraud in today's briefing with Jan Fran. First, Eleanor Harris in Dengate joins me for today's headlines. It is Tuesday the 28th of March. Hey Tom, so the Albanese government has won the support of the Greens to pass the next part of its climate policy. The Greens, through the negotiations, have secured a big hit on coal and gas. Greens leader Adam Bant there So this legislation, which can now pass the Senate, will change the safeguard mechanism, which will require the top 215 polluters to reduce emissions by 5% a year until 2030. Yeah, so the Greens wanted a much bigger hit to coal and gas. They wanted um, no new coal or gas, which was basically unrealistic. So what they've settled for is a tougher safeguard mechanism, which will set a hard ceiling on overall emissions, meaning the aggregate level of emissions has to come down rather than doing it all with purchasing offsets. There are a few loopholes in this legislation. So one of them is that you have unlimited offsets. And the other is that Um, So under the UN's rules, a country is only responsible for the emissions that occur on its own territory. Mm. And as we're one of the biggest fossil fuel exporters, that's a bit of an issue. And that's, of course, coming at the same time that the UN is telling us basically to sort of step on the gas, pun intended, Um, to like phase out all new coal in like rich countries by 2030. Mm. It falls short of what really needs to be done to avoid some of those catastrophic outcomes outlined by the IPCC, but it is a step forward on, on where we were under the coalition. In Victoria, Moira Deeming, the MP who attended the anti-trans rally that was crashed by neo-Nazis, has been suspended but not expelled from the Liberal Party. So it's after she provided concessions and condemnation over the incident at a marathon party room meeting yesterday where the party decided instead to stand her down for nine months. Having seen her condemn it this morning, albeit many days too late, but nevertheless she's condemned it. That's Victorian Liberal leader John Pasuto there. So Deeming released a statement saying her attendance may have been an error of judgment and pledged support to Pasuto. And then she also tweeted to the organisers of the rally last night, don't worry, I never condemned you. But yeah, just underlining this, she definitely did condemn the neo-Nazis. Yeah, this is a very interesting one. So it seems that she was given some mercy by her own party, um, partly because she revealed that Um, she'd been sexually abused from the age of four and that was part of the reason she was supporting what she sees as a women's rights movement. But of course, it all got tied up with these neo-Nazis and she also said that she had a a Jewish uncle that partly raised her. So 
the accusations of linked to the neo-Nazis was really hurtful for her. So, yeah, it's been a complete mess, hasn't it, this one? Yeah, absolutely. And I guess it's interesting because this is one of John Pesudo's, I guess, first tests as Liberal leader since he was mm. elected in December. And another day, another data breach. Crown Resorts is now investigating a possible hack after it was contacted by hackers claiming to have access to their files. In a statement, Crown says it's working with police and they say that no customer data has been compromised. (laughs) I wonder if that will end up being the case once we find out more. (laughs) And meanwhile, the scale of the Latitude financial cyber attack is much bigger than we first thought. So 7.9 million Australian and New Zealand customers have had their driver's licence numbers stolen, so nearly as big as the Optus and Medibank hacks, which are almost 10 million. So mm. Latitude provides consumer finance services to Harvey Norman, JB Hi-Fi, The Good Guys and Apple, and they've even recently signed up David Jones, so a lot of people affected. And Prince Harry is back in London. Not for the coronation yet. That's still a few weeks away, uh, a month away. Um, he's at the High Court Um, for his case against the Daily Mail. Um, So the Duke of Sussex is accusing Associated Newspapers Limited, who owns the Daily Mail, of engaging in criminal activity to gain information on him. That includes hacking mobile phone messages, bugging calls, getting private information like medical records by deception, and even commissioning the breaking and entry into private property. Elton John and Liz Hurley are also part of the lawsuit uh, taking action against the publisher. Mm, I mean, some big questions come to mind, Eleanor. One is, where is he staying, um, given he can't stay at Frogmore <laughs> Cottage anymore? And funnily enough, it's actually the Daily Mail, the paper that he's suing, is reporting that there's an apartment for him at Buckingham Palace. Mm, and I guess there'll be a bit of awkwardness about the coronation. We don't know if they're going to go or not. Well, maybe while he's back in London, he could have a conversation with his dad and they could work it out like adults. Brutal. <laughs> Thank you, Eleanor. Jan Fran is up next with part two of this wild ATO scam. Hi, Jan here. If you haven't heard yesterday's episode, I suggest that you do before listening to this one. Um, This one is part two of our deep dive into the $105 million scam against the ATO. On our last episode, we chatted with Brendan Hills. He's a journalist with The Weekend Telegraph who's been covering this story in fine detail. We talked about how the fraud came about, um, how Adam Cranston and his co-conspirators did it, how they carried it out, and how it all began to unravel. On this ep, though, that father and son relationship at the centre of it all, namely what happens when your father is the deputy commissioner of the organisation you are trying to defraud. There's another key player in all of this, not involved in the syndicate, I want to stress, Mm. but a key player in the overall story, his father, Michael, who was Mm. the deputy commissioner of the ATO. Talk us through who were Adam and Michael Cranston? What, What relationship did they have? They appear to have a very close relationship. They they talk openly about a lot of things. Um, Michael is, at the time, is one of the deputy commissioners of the Australian Taxation Office. He's the head of private groups and high-wealth individuals. So, in short, that means anyone who earns or anything that deals with over $2 million a year in tax, that's in his department. So, given what Adam was doing, 
that's right in Michael's wheelhouse. So Adam reaches a point where he knows he knows they're in trouble. They're getting garnishy orders. He knows the ATO is looking at them. And, and just remind us what garnishy orders are. So that's where the ATO has noticed that um, the second tier companies that are being used to steal the money have a lot of tax outstanding. They haven't paid it. So the ATO, as a matter of course, just issues what's called a garnishy order. So it's just, you owe this much money. Mm. Uh, we're going to come into your bank account and take it. So they're looking at that. And that's that's a big problem for Adam's operation. So he can't just come out and ask his dad, hey, um, I've stolen 105 million bucks. Do you know about it? Because that obviously sets off a lot of alarm bells. So he has to figure out a way to ask his dad just in a manner that if his dad responds in, in one way, it'll tell him that there's no investigation. Or if his dad freaks out, it's like, okay, we've got a problem here. So there's there's a point in January 2017 where they're strategizing on how he can ask his dad. And he goes off and does it. And then he comes back and reports roughly that he'd asked his dad and he was pretty confident that his dad didn't know about it. And their relationship, according to Adam, is, is so close that um, if he was in the crosshairs of the ATO, he was confident that his dad would come and, you know, pull him aside and say, you know, what's going on here? And that hadn't happened. Mm. So it was quite deceptive too. When you say it was quite deceptive, there's been a few recordings that have been made public of phone calls between Adam and Michael. Mm -hmm. How was he trying to get the information out of his dad without revealing too much information about himself? Yeah, so... The call that we're talking about happens uh, a little further down the line in April of 2017, and that's when things have developed even further. You know, the ATO is now targeting Plutus, the company itself, previously was targeting the uh, the second tier companies, but now they're putting the pieces together. And Michael's smart enough; you can tell that during the the course of that call, Michael's piecing together. Mm. using his expertise and it's starting to dawn on him that maybe his son's not being completely truthful with him and he says something along the lines of, if you lose the court case, what are you up for, $4 million? And it sounds like he's saying that as in like, you know, you get done for $4 million, bucks, you'll be fine, you're really good, you can pay that off. And then Adam sort of has a laugh and goes, well, actually, no, it's, it's a bit more than that. And he says it's, it's $45 million which is like less than half of what, you know, the total amount in mm, the end. Mm. So when he reveals the $45 million, you can just hear Michael he just sort of pauses and it's like he starts having like a, a panic attack. He's like, $45 million. So he freaks out at not even the full truth of what his son's doing. How does this all come to a head here? How, how, how do we get to a point where the ATO goes, oh, this is definitely happening and it becomes this big public story. Yeah, and that's that's where the Australian Federal Police came in. They had uh, an investigation called Operation Elbrus, and they made their arrests in May 2017, uh, which was not long after that was happening, and they have to weigh it up. Do they arrest everyone straight away, or they have to collect evidence? So they spent a period of months where they're, they're tapping phones, they sneak into the boardroom of the law firm where Adam and the syndicate were basically talking tactics of how to cover it up and they bugged the boardroom table. That became critical evidence where the police just had 
this amazing evidence of just hours and hours of recording of Adam and the syndicate members just talking about exactly how they'd done it and uh, how they were going to cover it up. So that became very valuable evidence. Uh, the police also went into the financial office where Lauren Cranston's desk was, where she transferred a lot of the money. They actually went into the ceiling and put a pinhole camera and a listening device which recorded her just transferring the money, talking about doing it, other people coming in. And they can do that? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So that's uh, you can get a warrant for that. So, you know, be careful. Yep. Over a period of months, the police are doing that. And they got to the point in May where it's like, okay, there was enough there to charge everybody. And so that's when they went in. Yeah. And they were looking initially at what role, if any, Michael had played. Because, again, right. he's the deputy commissioner at the time. His son's defrauding the ATO. Yes. Um, what was found in there? So, yeah, Michael gets charged and then that's in yeah May 2017 and it's just mass hysteria. It's like uh, the son of a deputy commissioner of the ATO getting charged with stealing more than $100 million in tax money. It's just, you can't write, you can't make that up. Mm. So Michael is charged with uh, illegally accessing ATO information in an attempt to help his son. He pleads not guilty. And it takes two years to for him to go to trial and he gets not found not guilty by a jury. So he's in the clear. You know, the ATO had changed their, their modus operandi to, to not be like the mean old tax office and just prosecute people for getting into tax problems. And then what they wanted to do was if someone has tax problems, they come in and it gets negotiated. They talk about it. They, they figure it out and they come to an agreement. And so when the ATO started targeting Adam's operation, they targeted one of his offsiders and that's what Adam was asking his dad about. And so when Michael starts making calls internally, he said, well, look, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to be doing in my role as the ATO. These guys have got tax problems. Mm. I arranged for them to come in and talk to somebody. I declared an interest. End of story. Not quite the case for um, Adam and the rest of the syndicate, though. No. Adam um, found guilty of defrauding the tax office. So he'll be, he's coming, but his sentencing proceedings will come back in May and it'll be up to the judge to dish out the appropriate punishment. Mm. So, Oh, to be a fly on the wall when all of that went down at the Cranston house. Yeah. It's making me stressed. I imagine Christmases would have, Christmas days might have been a bit awkward, but the big question was just whether, like, how does Michael feel about his kids now? So he's got, mm. you know, these two kids that they've done what they've done. They've caused him a lot of, lot of problems. So, you know, he loses his career. How does he feel about them? He was in court when Adam's um, verdict came down and he was, like, visibly in tears. After Michael was found not guilty, he was asked about it on the courtroom steps and he said he still loves his son and he always will. So that's shows, you know, where his head's at, which is, I don't know, quite forgiving, quite surprising. So I don't know if I'd feel the same way, but um, he does. So All right. Interesting. Interesting indeed. Brendan, thanks so much for joining us in the briefing and talking us through that story. No problem. Um, I smell a podcast in the wings. Maybe. <laughs> Brendan Hills, journalist with The Weekend Telegraph there. And what a point to end on. What a relationship to manage. 
I think Christmases are going to be very awkward, to say the least. I guess that's what unconditional love is, really. You love your children no matter what. I don't know if that can be applied across the board, but in this case, it seems to be the way. Listener.